0: This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, you change your mind, change your clothes like
1: a girl. The little boy doing this Katy Perry impression. He's four years old.
0: Change your mind like a girl, change your clothes like a girl. Change your underwear.
1: He lives with his six-year-old brother and their mum, Rafina, in one of the countless tents that make up the Alraj camp.
0: But it's so cute. I'm so sorry. So
1: this three-by-ten-metre tent has been his home for most of his life.
0: No, eat the whole plate. I eat the whole plate. No. I no. Mommy, I I can't eat so much food. If, if I eat so much food, then I'll get pop and... and,
1: and... There are stacks of exercise books lying around, Colored pencils, crayons, a stray kitten sleeping on a pile of blankets. This tent is their world, where the boys eat, play, sleep. All day, every day.
0: You't want to get big and fight like this and
1: then, and then... The boys live here with their mother who came here from Guyana. She's told me they have different fathers, men they've never met, both IS fighters. One from Pakistan, one from Germany. Like many of the children around them, these boys survived under the Islamic State's brutal regime. And now, they live here, in a squalid detention camp, in one of the most dangerous places in the world. Among thousands of other children, the world doesn't know how to deal with. I'm Poonam Taneja, and this is Storylines. Today from CBC Podcasts and BBC Sounds, I'm bringing you an episode from my podcast, Bloodlines. For years, thousands of kids with roots in Canada, the UK, the US and beyond lived under the terror group's so-called caliphate. Some were taken there by their parents. Others were born there. But after the war against the Islamic State was won, many of these children still remain in limbo, waiting in detention camps like this one, run by the group which helped defeat IS, the Kurdish-led Syrian Democratic Forces, or SDF. While IS's ambitions of a caliphate have failed, for now, their ideology survives and their remaining members are circling. The longer the children remain here, waiting for their countries to take them back, the higher the risk of being taken back by IS or crossing over themselves. Four years after the fall of the Islamic State, what do their lives look like now? And are they at risk of staying here forever? I want this one, right? This one's nicer. Oh, I, I know, it is nicer. You're super smart, and you are totally right. You're going to have to give it to me in a minute. (laughs) Next to the boys' tent, there's a barren concrete pad. The foundation of a tent where a French family lived until a few months ago, when France repatriated them. Some countries like the US, Germany, Norway and Sweden brought back mothers and children after IS was defeated. Other countries have only taken small numbers of orphans Or children who had already been separated from their parents. In 2023, Canada repatriated most of its mothers and children. So far, Guyana, where the mother of these two boys is from, hasn't taken anyone back. Would you ever consider your children going back without you?
0: Definitely, definitely. I would, I would definitely send them because. They deserve everything that I had and more. And I would not hold them here. It will be painful and it will break my heart. And I will probably die from depression. <laughs> but they deserve the best. They, I want that they have a normal life. If the government just say yes and provide them with, I would, I would let them go. I know my family is willing to give them love and support and everything they need. They that, that cannot be, they cannot get in the camp, definitely.
1: Is there a fear that if they stay in this environment that there is a risk of them being radicalised?
0: It is. They see guns. It's the biggest risk of them being radicalised, not just my kids, but all the kids. This is the future. These are going to be the most radical children, but who are radicalising them? Leaving them here are making them radical.
1: Rafina's boys are still just kids. But I've seen what happens as boys here get older. With each passing year, they're viewed as more and more of a threat. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of things do you learn when you come to school? Um, so okay,
0: maths, Islam, and Okay, maths,
1: Islam, and this is an IS recruitment video, focused on its education system. Which one do you think is better? And where are you from?
0: Here we go.
1: The camera faces a classroom full of kids. A teacher questions a six-year-old wearing camo.
2: Okay, now what do you want to be when you grow up? A mujahid.
1: A mujahid. A warrior. What IS built under the caliphate wasn't an education system. It was an indoctrination system. Children were steeped in the terror group's worldview and of the punishments if they strayed from it. Kids were trained to fight and to believe in the fight. Some kids say they saw very little under IS. Others have described being forced to watch beheadings and executions. The worst stories I've heard are of children being forced to carry out killings and torture themselves. And for some kids, the indoctrination continues within these camps, living with mothers who still believe in IS. Okay, and how old are you?
2: 13.
1: You're from Trinidad?
2: Yeah. How long
1: have you been living? Eight years after the filming of that IS video, I'm speaking to one of the boys featured in it. I'm calling him Ali. His brother was a six year old answering the teacher's questions. To be clear, I'm not suggesting Ali and his brothers went on to fight. I know little of what their lives look like under IS. For now, Ali's in Raj Camp. He sits on the floor on a pile of cushions. His shoulders are hunched and his hoodie is pulled up over his head. His mum's brought him in to see me because she's worried.
2: Yeah. The guards was telling us threats that they will come and take us. they take the boys from the mothers.
1: So they said that directly
2: to you? Not to me, but to other people, what I heard.
1: So you're worried now that you're going to be separated from your mother?
2: Yeah. The fear of a
1: guard coming and taking him from his mother is something that scares a lot of boys in the camp, and for good reason. The SDF do separate boys from their families eventually. And what, when you think of that, how does that make you feel? What does what goes on in your inside?
2: Um, I feel worried because because if one boy do something, they take it off to everybody. You see. Like uh, two boys, something, and they will get very mad, and then they want to. They will take us. And I don't want to leave my mom.
1: Okay. So you have brothers here too. Yeah. How old are they?
2: They're twelve, thirteen, fourteen.
1: Right. Okay. And you're worried that you'll all go.
2: Yeah.
1: Do you know where you will go?
2: I heard they said they carry us in
1: some jail, and that scares you. Uh-huh. Okay. The boys won't be sent to jail exactly, at least not yet. They'll be placed in secure rehabilitation centres or detention centres, depending who you talk to. The SDF says it's a place where they send boys to be de-radicalised. To the boys' loved ones, it's a black hole they'll never come out of.
0: I brought my daughter to speak to you also. Hi, this is your daughter? Yeah, my, this is my daughter.
1: This is one of the Trinidadian women. I've seen her and her daughter before.
0: How old are you? I'm 16.
1: You're 16? Yeah. The tent is hot and stuffy. I'm wondering, uh, Joanne, I'm wondering if you go out for a minute and she can. Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, so Joanna's just gone out. Do you feel more comfortable taking your niqab off? Okay, right, okay. That would be good. Uh, what is life in the camp like for you?
0: Mm, stressful. A lot of stuff. It's very stressful because you're like in a prison here. You can't do anything. You can't go out. It's very stressful.
1: And I suppose you've lived in the camp most of your, quite a long part of your life now
0: yeah it's it's hard but my mom makes it easier if I was here without her I don't know what I would do
1: do you have other people your own age to talk to
0: yeah there's other girls from my same country I don't really go out much I like to stay in my tent
1: okay why is
0: that (sighs) just going outside and seeing the fences and uh, guards and everything you know It makes me remember where I am. I sometimes want to forget that.
1: You want to forget where you are. What impact does it have on you, just remembering where you
0: are? It makes me think of my brothers a lot because we were so close, you know, and now they're not here.
1: Your brothers are... Where are your brothers?
0: They're... I don't know really where they are, but the guards have them somewhere in a boy's place.
1: The boy's place is the Huri Rehabilitation Centre. It's the place Ali and the other boys are scared of ending up. Were you there when they got separated from you? Yeah. What do you remember about that?
0: Uh, it was hot. really hot. because we were, like, walking for a very long time. Uh, we were all hungry and thirsty a lot and they took us they they took my brothers put them in the other car and blindfolded them and us
1: the women and younger children were taken to the camps but many of the older boys were not what do you worry about now because your brothers are not with you
0: um, it's sad i really wish they were here with me it would make it a lot easier I really miss them a lot. I, I don't really know what to say anymore.
1: You sound like you've been through a lot. What do you, what do you need to happen now?
0: Uh, I want to go home. I really just want to go back to Trinidad. I feel like we're abandoned here. Uh, I'm not seeing anything changing. Every day is the same. I really just want to go home.
1: She wants to train to be a teacher. Her uncle in Trinidad is lobbying to bring her back. But the government isn't currently repatriating its citizens. What is your fear if you don't go back to your country, if your country doesn't take you back?
0: I'm going to be stuck here forever without my family. My my brothers, it's a nightmare. I really wish it doesn't happen.
1: Look after yourself, okay? I hope you do go back home soon. We're off to the Alhuri Centre. It's known as a rehabilitation centre for boys. It's uh, not too far away from us. It's in a place called Talmaruf, which was heavily bombarded by IS. How the SDF chooses which boys to bring here is opaque. Some are here because it's suspected they fought under IS. Others because they're at risk of radicalization by their mothers. But some are here simply because they were too old by the time IS fell. There are younger kids in the camps who were born under IS, but don't remember it. But these boys are older. There are psychologists here. They brief you not to react if the kids reveal terrible things. We're just entering the Huri Centre entrance, so I'm going to have to stop recording, putting my mic down. The Huri Centre is a low-red brick building As we enter, groups of older boys huddle under the arches. It's quieter than the camps, tranquil almost. There are trees and a garden in the central courtyard. Huri sits in a residential area. It could almost be a school. But there are armed guards patrolling the roof, preventing the boys from breaking out and IS from breaking in. We're not allowed to record here today, so we sit on a low wall and chat with some boys for a while. The conditions here are better than the camps. There are dormitories, lessons, structure. But the boys are alone, away from their families, and they all miss their mums. The boys I'm meeting are from Trinidad and Tobago. The small Caribbean island had one of the highest rates of recruitment to IS, in the West. And they tell me about their childhood, carefree days on the beach and we talk football the World Cup is on but the telly's broken and so because they can't watch they settle for playing a match with Juan and some of the other guys and for a moment these teenage boys they're children again exuberant, beautiful free We need to take a short break. Storylines will be right back.
0: The island of Newfoundland keeps its secrets close, shrouds them in mystery. But once in a while, the fog is lifted. The truth comes out.
2: I get a feeling there's something going on here. My whole body was shaking. You go to bed believing that you're a certain person one night and then all of a sudden the next day, everything that you've known is not true. This is not the life that I should have
0: lived. I'm Luke Quinton from CBC. This is Come By Chance, available now.
2: Uh, Can you hear
1: me? Yes, I can hear you. Hi, how are you? I'm fine,
2: I'm good.
1: After leaving Huri Center, we managed to arrange a phone call with Suley, one of the boys we met there, a conversation that we can record. Suley, I just want to say one thing right up front. If there is anything that I ask you that you feel uncomfortable about answering, feel free to do that and not answer or tell me that you're uncomfortable with it. Well, okay. How has it been since then for you?
2: Well, it's the same thing. Every day I wake up, I eat, I go to my classes, I play soccer, yeah, that's it. Just waiting to know when I'm going to get out of here. That's basically it, yeah.
1: Last time we were there, I remember seeing you playing football. Yeah. You are incredibly talented. Oh, thanks. And I remember you asking me if you thought it was too late for you to be a professional footballer. Is that something that you're still thinking about?
2: Uh, Of course, yeah. I still want to play uh, football a lot. Actually, I'm getting more motivated every day, actually, I'm seeing. So, yeah, I'm actually practising a lot as well. Maybe one day... If if one day I get out of here, I can still play, you know?
1: You just said if one day you get out of there, is that something you worry about?
2: Well, of course, yeah, because I've been here like four years now. And I don't know anything about what's happening with me.
1: Sule says he's here because of his mum's choice of husband. They came to Syria in 2014. Sule was 11.
2: It was like a school break, you know? summertime around there. My mom, she got married to a new guy and we were going on a vacation. We were going to go to Egypt and see the pyramids and stuff like that, you know. And that was my first time, you know, I was was like happy to get out of the country for a bit.
1: But they never made it to Egypt. Instead, they ended up here. Sule says he lived under the caliphate for nearly five years it's impossible to know for sure what his life was like during that time or that of his mother. But when I spoke to her, she said she did what she could to keep Sule away from the battlefield, from being forced to fight.
2: Yeah. She always kept me inside, you know. And there was a point of time I was like, why does she want me to stay inside all the all the time, you know? Sometimes I want to go outside and play soccer, or football with it other kids and stuff like that she says, no you can't go and then as i got older i understood you know because i had a neighbor he was at my age i used to talk to him a bit but one day he just disappeared and a weeks weeks after i we heard his mother is crying uh, my son he got killed and i don't know that's when i realized that you know this is not a game you know
1: Sule was about 16 when he was captured by the SDF in the last weeks of the war against IS, back in 2019. He was taken to a men's prison.
2: I stayed there for like two months, actually. Yeah, two months. And they put me in a room with ISIS soldiers. Like, there was a, a bunch of older guys, you know, really, really old guys. Some injured people as well. But they're all foreigners, you know, like Russians... There's Russians, one from Morocco. There's one Trinidadian as well, one German.
1: Were there any other boys there?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so coming to the Huri Centre was, I suppose, an improvement, although not freedom.
2: Yeah, it was was way better, actually, you know, because we can stay outside, we can see the sun. You know, it's... So really big difference between here and there actually yeah.
1: Sule, I know that you're really close to your mom. How do you feel about the fact that you were brought here
2: to Syria? Well, that's uh, I don't know. My mom, she every time she speaks to me she always apologizes to me, you no. Know? She's like, I'm sorry I ruined your life. I brought you here to Syria. Yeah, it's true. My life is almost like half of it is gone, if you can say it like that, my childhood. And I'm still getting older, and I'm still here. It annoys me sometimes, but I forgive my mom for everything, every, whatever she did, you know? She didn't know. She's always telling me I'm sorry, and I'm sorry, you know? And I want her to know that I don't blame her as well for whatever, all of this that happened, you know.
1: There have been some children who've returned to Trinidad uh, a few years ago. W- what is your message to your government?
2: I don't know. Because, you know, I've never seen anyone from Trinidad come came by and said, anything about me. How are you? How are you doing? You know, there's nothing, nothing. Um, maybe they have other problems other than to, you know, deal with as they what they see me as a terrorist, you know? They're looking at us as terrorists, you know, that's it, you know? But I know to myself that I'm not a terrorist. I never was, and I'm never going to be a terrorist. <laughs>
1: We asked the Trinidadian government what they're doing in cases like Sule's. They say there are plans to pass new laws to allow the safe return of its citizens. But this is something that's been talked about for at least three years now, with little progress. Do you ever worry about being moved on? Is that, a, is that something that you, you think about?
2: Like getting moved to like prison, you mean? yeah. Well, yeah, I'm getting older, you know. And I'm, like, worried. Like, I don't want to go there. I really, really don't want to go to the big prisons.
1: Is that what the other boys are also thinking and worrying about, the older boys there?
2: Yeah, everyone is actually thinking about that. You're like, they're getting older. What are they going to do with? One of us becomes 25, 26, 27 They're just going to keep us here? Like, I don't know.
1: So you still want to be a great footballer. I mean, you are a great footballer. What is the dream?
2: Well, I would 100% be getting myself ready to play football, yeah. Uh, I want to continue my studying, you know. Continue my education, you know, so I can be an educated person. Yeah, and uh, I want to see my brother's kids. You know, he has, I think, five kids now. I want to see my sister a lot. You know, she's the closest person to me, actually.
1: Sule, is there anything else you want to say to me? Or ask me?
2: Mm. I want to ask you, like, what, what do you think about... My situation right now, what do you think?
1: I know that's the question you asked me last time that it's like, have you been forgotten? You haven't been forgotten at all. There are people in Trinidad who, um, there are court cases going on, there's pressure on the government to bring you. Yeah, so that is what I would say to you. Okay. Okay. Take care of yourself, Suley.
2: Okay, I will. Thanks a lot.
1: Okay. Speak soon, hopefully. Okay. At the time of this interview, it's estimated that there are roughly 600 youths like Sule in prisons and detention centres. And then there are the camps. Of the nearly 8,000 foreign nationals there, the majority a children. That's all for Storylines this week. Today's episode is a special presentation from BBC Sounds and the CBC. This was Bloodlines, episode 6, The Lost Children. You can find Bloodlines wherever you're listening to this podcast. Bloodlines follows my search for a two-year-old British-Canadian boy who disappeared in the final days of the war against the Islamic State. Series concept and reporting by me, Poonam Taneja. It's written and produced by Alina Ghosh, Fiona Woods, and me. Our investigations producer is Joanne Abdi, and our contributing producer is Michelle Shepard. Fahad Fatah is our field producer. Our sound designer is Julia Whitman, our senior producer and story editor is Damon Fairless. Special thanks to Andrew Friesen. Storylines is produced by AC Rowe. The show is part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. I'm Punim Taneja. Thanks for listening.